0: We're going to have our Bible reading now. Um, If you'd like to follow along, our reading for today is Ruth chapter 2, and there should be a black hardback Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and Ruth chapter 2 is on page 268. Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah Mm -hmm. of barley. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter in law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother in law.
1: So if you're joining us for the first time here uh, this morning, we are in our fourth part in our Sunday morning series in the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is a small book you will find in the Old Testament. It's really short, four chapters, 85 verses long. But it's a wonderful, wonderful story of redemption, of rescue uh, for this female refugee by the name of Ruth who comes to God's people, into God's land, seeking uh, a, a new life, seeking it's a wonderful wonderful story now now we've looked at ruth chapter one and we looked at the tragedy and the pain that we that the naomi and ruth experienced so if the author is saying to you right in ruth chapter one you're supposed to cry in ruth chapter two you're supposed to have a small knowing smile what do i mean by a small knowing smile let me illustrate here who knows this painting huh this, this is the Mona Lisa painted by Leonardo DiCaprio, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Leonardo da Vinci, I know. And uh, so, so what makes this, this painting so famous is the smile, isn't it? You know, that's, that's one of the reasons it's so famous and so valuable, so talked about and such a treasure. Is People are always talking about it. People have been discussing for hundreds of years. What did da Vinci mean about the smile? Was he trying to make her smile? Or was, was she not smiling? Is that what she looks like with just a straight face? I mean, what's going on? Is that a smile? And so what people say is, this looks like a knowing smile. A knowing smile is... I know something you don't know. A a knowing smile is something good is about to happen... That's how a knowing smile works, right? And so they call this on the Mona Lisa, a knowing smile. It, it's something my granddad always used to do when me and my brother would be sitting there eating lunch with him and we'd say, granddad, please take us to the village shop after lunch so we can use your money to buy some sweets. And, and the answer was always going to be yes. He, he was wrapped around our little fingers and we knew it, but he would just kind of go like this, give us a knowing smile, just kind of lift his head up a bit. Kind of looked down at us, and then a very small smile, which, which we knew was a yes. But he wouldn't say. It was a, I know something you don't know, something good is coming. It's, it's a small, knowing smile. So at the, the end of Ruth chapter 1, we're in tears. Ruth chapter 2, and as the story unfolds, there's this knowing smile that begins to spread across the reader's face. Now let me just do a whistle stop tour of Ruth chapter one, just to bring all of us up to speed of where we are if you weren't here. Two key places in this book we've got Bethlehem and we've got Moab. And what we have is this family, led by a man called Elimelech, his wife's called Naomi, and they've got two boys, Malon and Kilion. But the trouble is there's famine in the land of Bethlehem, so they have to up sticks and they have to leave. And so they go to find a new life where there's better opportunities and the grass will be greener in, you'll see, the land of Moab. That's outside of God's promised land and they're leaving behind God's people. So this family goes to find a new opportunity. Now the two boys of the family end up marrying Moabite girls. We've got Orpah and Ruth, and so this is the new family. But instead of finding greener grass, remember, tragedy strikes and the three men of the family all die. We don't know exactly why. Is it because of the famine? It's hard to speculate. We just don't know. But what that leaves behind is three women in the family. We've got Naomi, who's the Israelite, and her two Moabite daughters-in-law. And then in chapter one, there's this conversation that unfolds. And you remember the conversation. Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, go back to Moab. She said, basically says, Look, can I offer you any hope? I've got nothing. Am I going to have an- another son so that you can wait for him to grow up and have another husband? Of course you're not. That would be ridiculous. So go back to Moab, go find a husband, go live your life. And with that little bit of persuasion, Orpah turns around and she goes to Moab. But Ruth, remember, she has this loyal, committed, stubborn friendship with her mother in law. I'm not going to go. And so she makes this beautiful statement and in the middle of this statement she says, Ruth, uh, Ruth says to Naomi, your people will be my people, your God, my God. And so she heads back with her mother-in-law with absolutely nothing into the land of Bethlehem. And when they arrive, here's how chapter 1 ends, remember? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. You see the emphasis on Moab. Just, just so you didn't know, she came from Moab, so she's not an Israelite, she's a foreigner. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So you have that little bit of a note of hope, this, this, almost, this hint of fullness that's on the way, there's a barley harvest, but they've come back with absolutely nothing. Now now here's the thing about understanding chapter 2. is that Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem with absolutely nothing. I mean, there's there's a lot of unanswered questions here. I mean, we don't get told uh, what Orpah does with the rest of her life. Uh, We don't get told how many days elapsed from when they left Moab to when they arrived in Bethlehem. We, we, get, we don't get told where Ruth and Naomi are living. It doesn't say that they made a ramshackle shelter on the side of the road. It doesn't say they stayed with someone for credit and were going to pay back in a few months' time. It doesn't say they were sleeping rough. We, there's a lot of unanswered questions. But what we do get told is that when they come back, they have nothing, they are in need, they are in poverty. I have to emphasize that, so I'll repeat that. They come back with nothing. They have need. They are in poverty poverty, relying on the favor of someone else. Now, here's the thing about chapter 2. The question that hangs over everything goes like this. Who's going to help Ruth and Naomi? Where's the rescue going to come from? Who's going to be the one who steps in and does something for these two women in poverty who have nothing and are in a really, really vulnerable situation who is going to be the one who rescues? Now, good news if you know Ruth chapter 2. There is somebody who comes in and is that rescuer that they're looking for. There, there is somebody. It's a really, really special character with some really, really special character traits. So here's how we're going to map out Ruth chapter 2. Just in four scenes, we've got the realization. So who is it that they meet and what's he like? The grace. What is it that Ruth Ruth receives and why is that so amazing? The wonder, well, they find a truth. It's an absolutely show-stopping truth about this character. And then the refuge, what kind of a refuge or protection is Ruth and Naomi then given? So that's how we're going to map it out. And we're thinking about the rescue that Ruth and Naomi end up finding in Bethlehem. Okay, remember, they've got nothing, they are in need they are in poverty. So let's, let's read the first couple of verses, set the scene, and begin to pick this apart. So here we go. First couple of verses here. Now, Naomi had a relative. Oh, hello. She's got a relative of her husband's. A worthy man. Hear that? He's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. That's a strange detail to include. Put that in your back pocket for the moment. We'll need that in a few verses. He's in the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, that's Naomi, said to her, that's Ruth, Go, my daughter. Now really interestingly, the first verse we get there, there's an introduction to this fellow called Boaz. We don't really find out much about him until a few verses' time, but we just kind of get this little introduction. Just so you know, there's this guy on the scene in a field somewhere. His name is Boaz. And what do we find out about him? We find out a bit about his family heritage, but we're told that he is, what's the word? Worthy. Now, this word worthy can be understood in two senses, and I think both of these are true for Boaz. Number one, to be someone, uh, someone of wealth, with a bit of financial clout, someone of financial standing. That's something we certainly see in Boaz. But this word worthy can also mean respectable or reliable or, or, or somebody who takes responsibility. Perhaps the word we would use is a true gentleman. That's the word worthy. And we see both of those things in the character of Boaz as we move on. Now, now we, the, the camera kind of pans back from this Boaz character and there was back on Naomi and Ruth. And what do we have right here? Ruth is saying... I'm going to go to the fields, and I'm going to glean. And her mum says, go, my daughter, i.e., you have permission. We know they're in a tough situation, so maybe it's a kind of, yes, we, we need help. Go and try and find favor. That's the word that Ruth uses. So think about this. She's looking for favor. This is a word that's going to crop up later on. But of course they're looking for favor. They have nothing. It's not as though Ruth is going to say, let me go to the market and spend the last few pence that we have so that we can get some food. No, she's looking for favor. She's looking for charity. She's looking for somebody or someone to come through and give them what they need. So she goes to find favor. But what does she go and do? There's this key word, and she says, um, I'm going to glean. I'm going to glean. Now some of you might understand what that means, but if you don't, let me explain. Gleaning is an Old Testament practice where God called his people, as they harvested their crop, at harvest time, to leave, like a a band of wheat or barley or whatever crop it was, to leave a band around the outside of the entire field, or if he had an orchard, not to strip the trees or the vines from all of the fruit. Why? So that people in need could come along and harvest it for themselves. So that's what God had said to his people. He said in his law, in a couple of places in the Old Testament, leave some space for the people who have need. People who are outsiders, people who are traveling through the land, people who are the foreigners, people who are in poverty, people who have need, leave something for them. So we we find it in, uh, this one's in Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And then again in Deuteronomy, similar concept, almost the same words, fleshed out a bit more. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, for the fatherless, for the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And so Ruth goes out to go and glean, to go and find some of this food that might have been left. Somebody who puts people over profit. Somebody who would leave an edge of their field so that people who didn't have much could actually find something and meet their needs. So she goes out. Here's what happens in verse 3. Look at how this is framed. So she set out and went... And gleaned in the field after the reapers. So she finds a field where she can glean. And look at this right here. I love this. And she happened. She happened. you feel the irony there? She just happened to come to the part part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. She just happened. You know in movies, when you're watching a movie, and the character, or the characters in the film, at the right moment just seem to have exactly what they need. And you just think to yourself, oh, it wouldn't really be there. You, you know, it's, if it's in a it's in scene when someone's shooting and they, they just manage to dodge the bullet or, or dodge about 15 bullets, and you say, that would never happen. Or, or there's an explosion as the plane's taking off or they're driving away and they just seem a few inches away from actual disaster, but they manage to come through. You know, it happens all the time in films and you think to yourself, that's not real, that wouldn't happen. It makes you say, somebody's behind this writing this. Somebody, somebody, whoa, somebody, is, uh, somebody is, is writing this behind the scenes. Somebody is orchestrating this story so that it works out well for the characters. Here's an example of this. You'll know this film, I'm guessing, pretty well. One of my favorites, it's got to be in the top 10. Now, if you don't know Home Alone, I'm guessing you do, but if you don't, Kevin McAllister it gets left behind at Christmas time. His family go on holiday. And then some thieves think that the house is empty. So they plot to go and, thieve, to go and rob this house. But Kevin's there. So, so Kevin comes up with all of these, these, these traps. You, you know the story. To, to get these thieves. And so everything goes really, really well. They're, they're beaten. They're bruised. These thieves have an absolute whooping. Kevin has done a great job. And all he has to do, right at the end, all he has to do is get up to the attic. He has to go up the attic stairs and at the top of the attic he can get on a zip line and go across to, across to his treehouse, and there he's going to get to safety or phone for the police. But all he has to do is get up to the attic stairs and everything has gone to plan. It's been amazing. But this last bit, just before he's about to go up to the stairs, one of the thieves reaches out, and you can't see it that well, reaches out and grabs his trouser leg. And so he's trying to get away from this thief and then what happens? Right under his nose. What is it right there His brother's pet tarantula is right there. It just happened to be there. So Kevin grabs it, and what does he do? He throws it on the thief's face. And then he gets away. He's up the stairs into the attic. He's on the zipline, and he gets away. Now, it's one of those moments in films where you just say, that spider just happens to be there. just happened to be there at the right time. Somebody is behind this writing it so that it works out well for those characters. It's the same with Ruth right here. Ruth just happened to be in the, in the field of Boaz. R- Ruth just happened to show. It's like the author is saying, the irony behind it, did you see that she just happened? It seems like somebody is writing this story behind the scenes for the benefit of these characters. It's going to work out well. And this knowing smile begins to break on the reader's face. Now she ends up having a conversation with Boaz right here, doesn't she? There's this conversation... And so she comes out, uh, sorry, Boaz has this conversation. He comes to the reapers, and when he comes to the reapers, he looks across the field, and he says, who's that? There's somebody gleaning right here, and the the head of the reapers says, well, she came out, and she asked if she could glean, and she's been here since the morning. That's how that goes. And so Boaz then goes up to Ruth, and then we read the first words from Boaz to Ruth, and it goes like this. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Listen, listen, to, listen to those words. Ruth finds herself. Remember, she has nothing, she's gleaning. Boaz knows that. Remember, he's a guy who is worthy. He is a guy who's put people before prophets. He could have taken away the edge of the field. He didn't have to listen to what God had to say, but he's putting people above those prophets and making that money. He sees her, hey, Ruth, stay close to me. Now, what we've had emphasized over and over and over again in Ruth chapter 1 and then even in the beginning of Ruth chapter 2 is that she's a foreigner. Not just any foreigner. She belongs to the people of Moab. She's a Moabite. Remember, the Moabites are the kind of people that the people of Israel shouldn't have been spending time with. Those, the Moabites were the people who didn't treat Israel well. They weren't, look, they weren't looked upon favorably. The relationship between Israel and Moab was a little bit frosty, to say the least. And what you have is Moab having this lady, this Moabite come in, and he seems to welcome her with open arms. How do you know that? Look at that. Stay close, but keep close to my young women. Stay with my staff right here. Don't go anywhere. So here's the realization that Ruth finds right here. She meets a man who is both worthy and welcoming. A man who is worthy and welcoming. Now now notice, Boaz could have said, I would rather have the prophet than this band of barley around my field. But he doesn't. Why? He listens to what God has to say. And think about this. Doesn't this whole idea of gleaning reflect something of God's character? doesn't it? God has said to his people, you know, the people do the gleaning thing because their God said it. Why did God say it? So we meet the needs of the people who have needs. What does that tell us? It tells us that our God is a God for the people who are destitute. Our our God is a God for the people who don't have enough. Our God is a God for the people who have been sidelined. Our God is a God of the people like Ruth in her shoes, our God is a God of the underdog. That's the kind of God, and that's something of his character on display in the actions of Boaz. He listens to what God has to say, and he does it. So he's worthy, and he's welcoming. But here, here's what happens. Ruth then receives grace. Let's have a look at this. She receives grace. Let's read, um, let's read verse 9 and 10 here. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping, And go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And look at this this overwhelmed emotional reaction from Ruth. Verse 10. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Do you see this kind of amazement? Ruth just is overwhelmed. Ruth doesn't quite know what to do with herself. It's almost a worshipful response from Ruth. She just doesn't know what to do. She has received this grace. She's received this favor she's been looking for. Why have you given me this favor, she says, There's a sense of disbelief. But that's where Ruth is. And then Boaz responds by saying this. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now notice, what we don't hear from Boaz is, hey Ruth, why don't you just pay me back in three months when you're back on your feet financially? hey Ruth, why don't we set up a a kind of temporary contract for a few months, we can see if you're any good at reaping, and then I'll offer you a full contract after that. We don't have that. There is no sense within Boaz's mind, I'm going to get something back. There's no sense where he's saying, I'm going to profit from this. I'm going to get something out of you. We don't have that. What we have from Boaz is an unconditional kindness. What we have from him is an unconditional favor with no strings attached. So this man who is worthy and welcoming is also a man from whom she receives an unconditional kindness. Now, he doesn't say to her, does he? You do this so I get something from it. No, no. Here's the favor. Take it. It's unconditional. Now, that's a foreign concept to our world because I think 99.9% of the time... We don't really get anything for free. There's usually conditions if we do get something for free. I mean, even when you're in the supermarket, right? They they hand out these little free cups of a food they want you to try. But there's an agenda behind it, isn't there? Because they want you to buy the product. So, yeah, it's a kindness, but is it unconditional? No. There's an agenda behind it. I I used to work in uh, a retail shop in town. This is, this is a, a photo of it right now. It's on the corner of Abbeygate and Hatter Street. It's now a, a, an, a, an Asian restaurant, but it used to be a clothes shop where I used to work. It was called Stone Angel, and it was a great two or three years of my life where I got to work there. Uh, it was to help me put, p- help put me through college right there. Uh, but the thing was, this shop sold ridiculously expensive clothes. And you know what that meant? That no one ever came through the front door. Never. So you see that big window right there, I used to just waste my time reading or standing looking at the window for years on end, meeting only a handful of people. But because it was so expensive, it meant we only got four or five customers every day. And so our boss knew that, and so he would say, right, if we're only getting four or five customers, what you need to do is to be really, really over the top, kind and friendly to each customer. Because you know, the difference between." Good customer service and bad customer service, it's going to be a few hundred pounds. So James, make sure you get it right. And of course, I didn't want to lose my job. He had a profit to make, so when people came in, you just have to, just have to bend over backwards to make sure everyone was okay. If they needed another size, you would get it for them. If they wanted a cup of tea or a coffee, you would get it for them. Uh, you, you, you'd have to tell them what, just, just really interact with them, tell them what kind of a size they need, what would go with that. And you'd look at all of this because good customer service. Now think about it. That's how retail works, doesn't it? Why was I being kind? Did I want to be kind? Yeah, some days, but most of the time it was because I wanted to keep my job and my boss needed to make a profit. That's how retail works, doesn't it? That tends to be how most of our world operates. You see kindness, yeah, but usually there's strings attached. Usually there's an agenda behind it. That's how this works. But that's why Boaz's kindness to Ruth is so controversial and why she responds in such an overwhelmed emotional way. You've done this for me. Why have you shown me this favor? And on top of that, I'm a foreigner. Should this really be happening? And so what she receives is an unconditional kindness. Now we're moving on to the wonder. She goes back to Naomi. Now, now she's got a whole bunch of barley grain. She, she, she's beat out the grain and she's now taking, taking out... Um, it's called an ephah or an ephah of grain, which... It's hard to say exactly what it was, but, but some scholars think about 22 liters. So she's, she's eaten well, she's had her full, it says she's satisfied, and then she goes back with this, we assume, a giant sack of grain. Comes to her mother-in-law, Naomi, there's this big surprise. Where did you get that from? Naomi is asking. And so then Ruth responds with, right here. Uh, let's do verse uh, let's do verse 19 and her mother-in-law said to her where did you glean today and where have you worked blessed be the man who took notice of you and she told her mother-in-law with whom she worked now here is the show-stopping moment in chapter 2 with whom she had worked and said the man's name whom i work today is boaz Now, now here's where naomi's jaw just hits the floor here's where the listeners are like he's that guy He's that guy we heard about who was worthy, who offered that welcome, who gave that unconditional kindness. He's a what? He's a redeemer. What? Look at this, what Naomi says right here. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. So that's the first amazement from her. Bless this guy who has not forsaken us who are living and the dead to whom we belong. They've honored the the dead. Naomi Naomi also said to her, look at this right here. The man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. So two reasons she's surprised, two reasons she's amazed. can't believe you got this favor, but secondly, oh, you know that guy whose field you happened to come across? He's one of our redeemers. I've got to explain. If you've been through Ruth before, you might understand what redeemer is. But it's it's an amazing concept, but it does seem very, very strange to 21st century ears. Now, if, if, you're in, if you're in Ruth's time in the ancient world and, and a husband died, it was the job of his brother or someone in his extended family to take his brother's wife as his own wife and his children and his children and raise them up together so that they had somewhere to live that they were provided for, that they were protected and looked after. And so a redeemer, is really a good way to understand this, is a family member who rescues. So somebody who kind of swoops in and says, I'll raise you, I'll look after you, I'll make sure there's food on the table, I will honor the, the dead relative, whoever that was, by raising you. That, that's how a redeemer works. So, so they, they would get the, the land that came with the family, there would be, there would, maybe there's kids with the family, the, the, everything, just look after them and kind of take them under their wing. That's how redeemer worked. So, so she then says, hey, Boaz is one of these redeemers. Now no, Now remember, Naomi's husband... His brother is also dead as well. So then it's extended to the extended family. Has to be one of these redeemers. And so the jaws just seem to hit the ground here. That, that this guy who Ruth has been gleaning from is in fact, would you believe it, one of the redeemers who could possibly redeem this destitute and poverty stricken family. That's where they are. And so there's this wonder that they recognize that Boaz He's a redeemer. He's a family member rescuer. I I guess the closest thing we would have to this today, I think, is something like adoption. So you know when a a person or a family says, we've got room in our house for people who have need? And adoption is a beautiful picture, isn't it? Because how does adoption work? It's when a family welcomes in a child or children into their home and includes them as their own. Loves them as their own kids. Gives them the opportunities as their own children. Adoption's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Well, I think this is the closest thing we have right here. Because, yes, it's not about, it's not about Boaz having another wife. It's about Boaz saying, you're in need. I can help you and show this unconditional kindness to you. That's how this family rescuer redeemer would have worked. And so includes her into his family. Well, we'll have to see the rest of the story of how this pans out. But remember... We've got a knowing smile because we think we know what's coming. Now let's read the last three verses of this passage here. Look at the refuge bit. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests, and she lived there with her mother-in-law. Now, we don't get anything right here. The author doesn't say... Oh yeah, he's actually the family member who ends up redeeming or rescuing Ruth and Naomi. We don't read that just yet. We're kind of left hanging, but remember the knowing smile is just here because we wonder, we just wonder if he might be the kinsman redeemer that this family has been looking for. He might be the one to show that obligation and that responsibility and take them in. Now it's amazing right here, Naomi says to Ruth, hey, stay with him. It's a bad time. We're in a vulnerable situation. You say, look, you go anywhere else, you could be assaulted. Remember, this book is set within the time of the judges. In the time of the judges, everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes, aren't they? So this is a really rubbish time, particularly if you're in Ruth and Naomi's situation. Stay close to him, because next to Boaz, you will find security. So what we have with Boaz right here is this Redeemer offers a security. Now think about this. We... We could look at Ruth chapter 2 and say to ourselves, we are so far removed from this. And we, we could say that, couldn't we? We could say, great story in Ruth chapter 2. We love Naomi and Ruth. We love the fact that they came across, happened to come across this Boaz guy. We love that. But don't you know, James, this, this story of Ruth two, Ruth chapter 2 is It's historically removed from us. It's culturally removed from us. It's geographically removed from us. What has Ruth chapter 2 got anything to do with you and me in this room today in 2019? Aren't we so far removed from Ruth and Naomi? We're nothing like them, are we? Well, actually, I think there's more to that question than we realize because we are like them. Think about it. Ruth and Naomi head into Bethlehem How are they going? Remember, with nothing, in need, and in poverty. Going to God for favor, trusting in him to provide, looking to a God who is gracious, and hoping he will give what they need. That sounds an awful lot like the Christian message. That we go to God with nothing to offer. Empty hands. In our need, in in our poverty, hoping that we will come across a God who shows favor, come across a God who is kind, come across a God who will forgive, come across a God who is abundant in grace and steadfast love. Sounds a bit like Ruth and Naomi. Sounds a bit like you and me. You see, here's the thing. The Christian message does not say, get your act together and then you can come to Jesus. I mean, the Christian message doesn't say, it doesn't say, get your head screwed on, get your life figured out, and when you've got it figured out, you're good, God's going to accept you. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, if you could just get your devotion together, if you could just get that discipline sorted out, if you could figure out the marriage, and if you could figure out your children's behavior, and if you could sort that future plan out, and get those finances in order, and just just get it right, then Jesus will accept you. You The Christian message doesn't say that. The Christian message says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sound a little bit like Ruth and Naomi, having nothing to offer. In our poverty, in our need, going to a God who is gracious, merciful, and kind, and quick to forgive. For anything like me, then we are like Ruth and Naomi. We are the ones who need that forgiveness. We are the ones who have fallen short. We are the ones who come with that poverty. We are the ones who come with that need. We are the ones who aren't what we should be. We are the ones who are in that place where we think those bad thoughts. We say those things we wish, say, wish we hadn't have said. We, we do those things we wish we hadn't have done. We come to God with nothing. We try and match up to his standards. We can't even come close. We can't even match up to our own standards that we set for ourselves. But here's the wonderful truth. Like Ruth and Naomi, we come into Bethlehem seeking a God who shows favor and grace. Now you're saying, all right, yeah, maybe we're like them. They find Boaz. (laughs) What do we get? Well, we get the very one whom Boaz's character and actions were pointing to. We find a Redeemer. We have a Boaz, and his name, here we go, is Jesus. We have a Redeemer. We have one who rescues. We have one who in our poverty and our need, not having what we should, not being what we should, not saying what we should, not doing what we should, we can't even come. We have one who will redeem and rescue us. We have one who shows favor and with that same welcome and open arms and worthiness, we have a redeemer. Here's the amazing story of the Christian life. You see, Jesus Steps down into our world, puts on our skin, our bones, walks in our shoes, lives our lives, sees our pain and our mess and our sin and our mistakes. Without doing any of that himself, living the perfect life, he goes to the cross. And on the cross, you see God's opinion for our sin. But also on the cross, you see his love for people like you and me in here this morning. Because on the cross, Jesus takes our sin, he takes our mess, he takes our mistakes breathes his last and says, it's finished. But you know how the story goes because three days later he rises from the dead. He wins a new life, a victory, so that new life can be ours for us to live into today. So that we can be transformed for the inside out. So we can become new people and have an unshakable hope. Oh, there's good news for people like you and me. If we come with nothing, there is a Redeemer. And his name is Jesus. And he's God's son. Look at this right here. Here's the characteristics we looked at, Boaz. Jesus is worthy and welcoming. There is nobody more worthy. There is nobody more welcoming. What did Jesus say at the beginning of, uh, well, chapter four in Luke? "I have come to bring good news to the poor. I've come for the underdog. I've come for the one who can't get it right. I've come for the one who needs favor. I've come for the one who needs grace and my arms are wider than you can ever imagine. See, if you're sitting in here this morning and you think, nice, James, but you don't know how rubbish I've been. You don't know my mistakes. You don't know, actually, I've turned my back on God for a few years. I don't know if he would have somebody like me. I've got good news for you. Jesus has a welcome and his arms go wider than you can ever imagine. You're not too far gone. He's worthy and gives an ultimate welcome. What about this right here, the grace? Jesus gives an unconditional kindness. Oh, you bet you he gives an unconditional kindness. Jesus doesn't say, do you know what? Come to me and then pay it off later. Or get your act together and then you come to me. How does it go? Come to me. I'll give you rest. Come to me. I'm going to forgive you. Look at this wonder. Jesus is our redeemer. A family member who rescues. Is Jesus a family member? He stepped down into the human family, didn't he? Didn't he put on our skin? Didn't he walk in our shoes? Wasn't he one of us? And what did he come to do? To rescue us, to set us free. And Jesus offers a security. You know, in our lives, there are so many things that promise security but can never pay back on that promise. Money promises security, doesn't it? But you know, with one bad decision or one recession, you could lose a lot of that. Relationships promise security. Most of the time they do, but they're not as secure as we think they actually are. We know the stories. And what about our health? We like to think that if we run and we eat well, we can avoid those diseases, we can avoid that bad health, but we've heard the stories. People who are just doing fine, seem as uh, fit as a fiddle. <laughs> Life didn't turn out like they hoped it would. It did not go to plan. How Half- We put our trust and our security in so many things that can never pay back on that promise. But Jesus offers a security. Jesus says, come to me. I'll accept you. Throw yourself on me for mercy. I will set you free and forgive you. I'll begin that messy and long journey of transforming you from the inside out. Jesus says, I will never let you go. Other things will let you go, but I won't. Jesus offers a security. You see, if you're in here this morning and you're looking for someone who's ultimately worthy and welcoming, if you're in here this morning and you're looking for an unconditional kindness that you just can't find in this world, if you're in here this morning looking for a redeemer who knows exactly what it's like to be in the human family and can set us free, if you're in here this morning looking for a security that the world doesn't offer, then I have got good news for you. Ruth and Naomi had a Boaz. Ruth and Naomi had nothing. Ruth and Naomi got favor, you and me. We've got nothing to offer God, have we? We come with empty hands, but there's good news because there's a Redeemer and His name is Jesus and He's God's Son. Let's pray and then we get to sing our last song together. Lord, we want to thank you for Ruth chapter 2. The story of Ruth and Naomi finding a favor that was beyond what they had expected. Like Ruth and Naomi, Lord, we come to you with nothing in our need and in our poverty. And we come to the same God who lavishes out goodness, grace, and favor for those who come. So, Lord, afresh, we throw ourselves upon your mercy and on your grace knowing our need, but knowing your abundance. Lord, may we be the same people who stand in that wonder that Ruth and Naomi experienced when they realized there is a redeemer and he's good. Lord, help us to see that. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.